Hi, this is Dave Summers, and welcome to AMA Edgewise. Hi, this is Dave Summers, Director of Digital Media Production here at the AMA. On today's program, we'll be handing the microphone over to Lauren McNally. Lauren is the Chief Creative Director here at the AMA, but more importantly, for the subject matter of today's program, she's also the Director of the AMA Women's Leadership Center. Today on AMA Edgewise, we are happy to have Maureen Chiquet with us. She began her career in marketing at L'Oreal Paris in 1985. She has worked at The Gap, helped launch Old Navy, and was president of Banana Republic before becoming COO and president of U.S. operations of Chanel in 2003. In 2007, she became the first global CEO where she oversaw the business and brand's worldwide expansion. She left Chanel in 2016 to focus on developing new leadership initiatives. She is a trustee to the Yale Corporation and a fellow of Yale University where she graduated in 1985. So welcome, Maureen. Thank you. Fun to be here. We're so excited to have you. And thank you so much for coming in and out of your, you know, your busy schedule, making time to come in for us. My pleasure. <laughs> Great. So I'd like to get started to talk about, obviously, we're talking about your book today, about Beyond the Label, Women, Leadership, and Success on Your Own Terms. I read it. I loved it. I thought thank it was you. very relatable. Thank you. Real. I'm glad you liked it. I did. And when it comes to being a leader, just as your book was very authentic, it came across very authentic, how important do you feel authenticity is when you're a leader? I think it's really important because I feel like as a leader, when we're authentic, when we can actually show who we really are, we invite others to show who they are. And so that means that they can bring more of themselves into their jobs. And that satisfies them, but that also helps the business and a company because the more diversity of opinion, the more interesting perspectives that you can pull into any organization mm-hmm. or any company, the better off you do. I think the, you know, the, better, the better the business is. Mm-hmm. So I feel like being authentic invites others into their own authenticity. Absolutely. And I think it really makes you relatable to them as well as another human being. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's something I learned really early in my job at Chanel. My first year that I was there, and I wrote about this in the book, as you know, they asked me to put a piece of tape in my mouth and just listen and learn mm-hmm. and absorb the culture and the people and the business. And what that allowed me to do is actually just be almost an observer and somebody that people could then trust so that when I had to build relationships to help get things done later and influence people, it really worked out to my advantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, building relationships is so important in any role that you're in. You know, there were so many boundaries that you were pushing. And, you know, how did you navigate other leaders in the organizations that you've experienced that were averse to change and risk and more unconventional pursuits? You know, it's interesting. I've found that you can't make someone do anything, right? I mean, the sort of notion of command and control leadership, where you say to your teams, you need to go here, you need to go there doesn't really work. And, te- and it is interesting being a, in a brand like Chanel where there was a little bit of risk aversion because you had a lot to lose. I mean, it's a beautiful brand that already had an incredible image. So what I found was most effective was asking a lot of questions and being in conversation about where my team felt that they should be, both individually and collectively. And by asking questions, and sometimes the harder questions, the better, the sort of like, well, why wouldn't we do it this way? Or kind of taking the opposite side in a form of a question 
really help people open up and think more about possibly taking risks. That's great. And it really makes people think from a different perspective as well, which is really important. For people that are just starting out in a management position or want to be a leader one day, what are some tips that you can give them on when they can identify when it's the right time to break a boundary? When is it time to go past the label? Yeah, you know, it's so interesting. I think I, I wrote about this earlier in the book when I first got to L'Oreal and I was a brand manager, a product manager. Now, I came with no background really in business. I mean, very, very little. I, I think I didn't even know what the term marketing meant. So you can imagine I, I didn't know what market segmentation was, a USP, all the different terms that you use. And what I realized as I was going through their very rigorous training is you actually have to learn the rules first. Yeah, you do have to learn the lingo and the way the business is run. Once you get that set of rules established, then tapping into really what you can bring to the table and what you care most about. Now, for me, that was about creativity. I really, really cared about how we were setting our image and our packaging. And so I found myself sort of slowly migrating, even during advertising meetings, to the side of the table where our advertising agency was sitting and sponsoring that part of the business and really getting myself involved as much as I can in the part of the business that I loved and that I knew I had a value add. Great. That's really, really valuable advice. So when you know all of these different labels that you were going past and all the challenges that you went through... Which obstacle did you overcome or which boundary did you take? Which risk did you take that impacted your life or your career the most? There were so many of them, and I'll just do a few for you. But probably the first one was actually very young when I was 16 and took that leap to go to live with a French family. And yeah, that was know, huge, <laughs> right? And you know, and and I didn't really speak French yet. I had taken French in school, but you know how that goes, right? You can kind of speak it. You string sentences together. But I wanted the immersion. I wanted to actually think and feel and talk and mm-hmm. be in a French environment. But then later in my my career, you know, as I was graduating from college, I was a literature major. Mm-hmm. I wasn't quite sure what I could do other than going into academia, and I ended up really, really wanting to go back to, to France because my senses had been blown open when I was 16. And I made sure that that was the route that I was going to take, whether or not I, mean, I would have really done anything. I would have taken any job just to be in France. So I think mm-hmm. that kind of immersion and really going after something that isn't necessarily a career name or a label or a title, but that thing that without which you can't, you really can't live without, you know what I mean? So I, that for me, that was one point. And then the second point I think that really changed the course of my career was when I got to San Francisco after having worked for L'Oreal. And I thought I was going to get a marketing job because I was wearing the label of marketer, you know? I was like, oh, I've spent three years in marketing. Guess what? I'm a marketer. But when I got there, there weren't that many packaged goods companies. And the two packaged goods companies that were available or that, that had jobs were Clorox and Del Monte. I realized both through an interview when I got rejected at Clorox, but also just in seeing those companies and looking at what they were producing, that I cared a lot about beauty and that that would be important. So I stumbled on this poster on Market Street of Miles Davis with his head in his hands. And I had loved jazz because the art director with whom I had already gotten very, very close and at L'Oreal had taught me everything he knew about jazz. So I loved jazz. And I looked at the poster and it said, Gap. And I thought to myself, wow, if Gap is doing those kinds of images with cool people and they're saying something about what it means to wear a Gap t-shirt, because all he had on was a simple black Gap t-shirt, 
I want to be part of that. I want to help that company grow. So I think that sort of pushing the edge always on where you think you're supposed to be by leaving yourself completely open and absorbing and getting really close to what it is that makes your heart sing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you said that beautifully. What I thought was really interesting was how you brought the creative and the emotion and the feeling and the customer perspective to your profession, but also knew, okay, well, we got to make sure that the analytics line up and we have the data. And what kind of advice do you give to a creative that really wants to be on the business side of things, but, you know, has the fine art degree, just like you had your, your film and literature degree? It's really interesting. It largely depends, I think, on what they really want and what they really care about. Mm. So I think instead of advice, what I love to do is get into conversation and ask probing questions. Mm-hmm. And I've, I mean, I've mostly seen people in business who want to go into creative. And what I've, for example, when I was working with someone at, at Chanel who ended up being a very good marketer, but his passion, his real passion were the images that were created. And I ended up moving him into creative because that tapped into something that he fundamentally loved in the job that he was doing. So a lot of time, it's a lot of times it's sitting across the table from somebody, asking questions, telling my own stories, and just sort of chewing on things to see where that person really, really wants to explore. In fact, I was at an event earlier this month. And somebody who I'd mentored came up to me and said, oh, my God, you changed my career. I had moved her from merchandising into design. So in terms of people like me going into more business fields, I think it largely depends on specifically what is it that you can't live without. I mean, what is it that's Mm -hmm. so close to your heart that it'll kill you if you don't get that? And it's not a job. It's usually not a job. It has something to do with the quality of the work that you want to do. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And it's almost like, how can you weave the two things together also? Because I think it can mm. go into anything, not just creative and marketing, but someone loves to cook. You know, how could they, you know, how many times have I thought, oh, well, maybe I'll be, maybe I'll be a creative director of a food magazine or something, you know? No, that's cool. think, How can you kind of weave the two things together and you can really go into anything that, that you're doing and what you're interested in? Yeah, I think it's, it's funny because my daughter right now is going through some similar things that I did. And it's funny you mentioned food. She loves food and is passionate about, you know, the non-GMO movement, about really healthy foods. And so right now, what is she doing? She's actually going, she's working on a farm. She's working in a microbrewery. She's Mm -hmm. looking for another job in food retail. So she's keeping an explorer's mind. And I think this notion of how do you continue to keep an explorer's mind? So the balance that you're talking about can come about through the things that you start to identify with and you bring your skills to, right? Mm -hmm. It's not probably by trying to force yourself into a job that doesn't really fit. But that said, if I think about my daughter again, not not that, you know, it's just a good example that's right present. She doesn't want to continue working in a microbrewery per se or as a food professional. She may want to actually work on a farm, but right now she's exploring those things to figure out where her skill sets, and by the way, she was an art history major, where her skill sets can actually meet the thing that she loves to do. Yeah, and it's almost like you need to experience these different things to really know what the end is going to look like. You need to kind of experience the good and the bad to know right. what it is that you want and how you can merge it right. together. And sometimes take jobs that aren't exactly perfect. I mean, somebody the other day, I was speaking at a university, asked me, 
I was actually a grad student in economics and said, you know, I really don't know what to do. I love economics so much, but how do I make that into a job? And so we started to explore what it was about economics that she loved. Like, why do you love it? What piece of that really gets you excited? And she had an offer, and the offer wasn't perfect. But we figured out a way within the job that she was going to do that she could start to scratch the surface of the things that she cared about so that either she could expand that role when she was in that job or eventually work towards another role. When you were talking about your daughter and reading your book, too, about creating your own balance in life and can you have it all as a woman you know you raised a family you had this this huge career looking at your daughter and this the women that you meet the women that you mentor what do you feel is the biggest challenge for women today in creating their balance whatever that is for them you know, it's interesting. I've thought so much about this question. There are a few things I want to say. First, and you know, because the story, the heartbreaking story in my book is about the time that my daughter, who was then going into college, really blew up because she was angry at me for all the times I hadn't been there as a mother. You know, the times I missed the soccer games, the times I missed school events, the day-to-day where I wasn't there, and where, in fact, Antoine, my husband at the time, was. It nearly killed me, but it opened something up for me. I mean, I was really upset by the incident. But what it started showing me is that I actually couldn't be everywhere. And this notion of perfect work-life balance, the notion of perfect anything in a way is a label that makes us feel really bad. It makes us feel guilty about our choices. It makes us feel, I think, that much more disappointed when we can't be everywhere, when we can't do everything, or when we're too exhausted to show up the way our kids think we can. So I feel like... For me, what it taught me is there's certain things I gave my kids. There are times when I was there for them pretty much all the time emotionally. You know, I have two girls, so you go through all the trials and tribulations of being a teenage girl. They're academically, and even now with their jobs, kind of the go-to person to consult. Like just today, I got a text from my daughter. (laughs) You know, what do I do to negotiate my salary? So that was my role. And in a way, if we could start to think about our lives as not being able to have everything we want are perfect, but having most of what we want and doing that because you've made some choices. They're tough choices. With those choices come compromises. There come sad moments and there come things that you're not going to be able to have, things that you, you can't have. I mean, I missed a lot of the daily stuff, but that's just, that is part of what we do. And I think to settle into that notion for women so that it's not constantly trying to strive for something that doesn't really exist. Yeah, and, and as women, we're always trying to be perfectionists in, in everything we do, and trying to have that perfect balance. I, I don't even have children, and I know, and I'm, I don't even know how do, how does how do mothers do this? You know, how do they have this career and yeah. and juggle it all? So I thought that was a, a great way that you described that. Talking about balance and leadership, and I know you talk about feminine qualities and masculine qualities of being a leader. How can you be the most well-rounded leader to make a business successful? Yeah, I think that particularly in the early days of your leadership, as you're sort of taking on this role, going from maybe managing two or three people to a larger team, so much of what's helped me is actually really, really engaging in listening and asking questions. And I think earlier in my career, of course, I learned that I wasn't the best listener when I was young. I had points I wanted to get across and things I wanted to make sure that I said. 
And often that meant that I wasn't engaging my team in the way that I needed to. So what I like to think about is actually inviting people and diverse opinions to come in and influence my own. And I kind of look at it this way. Sometimes somebody's opinion is better than yours, or it adds to yours, or it takes you down a different road that you didn't think you'd ever go down. Sometimes your opinion might be the best one. So being a leader is about balancing between external listening, but also listening to what you are, who you care about, or what you think, who you care about, what you think, and what you care about, and the ways that you can actually hold and balance those two will help you be a great leader. Great. And when you talk about, you know, surrounding yourself by diverse people, I mean, I see it all the time where people just have their go-to people in the organization that they yeah. that they cling to because they, they think like they think and they feel comfortable around them. And I think that that's a really important point that you bring up is, well, I usually don't talk to so-and-so or he intimidates me or, you know, I don't know if her opinion really aligns with mine. You know, but really bringing yourself around these different thoughts and perspectives and ideas and people is important. I've learned the best things in arguments with people whose opinions I don't necessarily endorse. I actually think that's where we grow as leaders. That's where we actually make business better is when you can actually have open dialogue that is sometimes conflictual, but not conflictual in an aggressive way. But having conflicting opinions, particularly to my own, I remember later on in the book, there's a story of my going to horse whispering and learning even more about who I was a leader at that time. But right before I left, one of the people on my team said, I because I ended up taking a group of employees there afterwards, said, I'm not going, it's a waste of time, I don't see what, what we're going to learn about ourselves with horses. And that argument that I had with him refined my idea about what we might take away. Even though I disagreed with his perspective, it helped open me to a new way of thinking. You know, here sitting with you here today, you are very easy to talk to. And, you. <laughs> uh, you know, you call yourself an introvert and, and, and shy. And, you know, how did you build strength from, from that? How did you turn that into a positive and become the great leader that you became? Well, first of all, thank you for saying that. But you know, part of it, part of being shy means that you sort of turn the dial up on your observational abilities in a way. Mm-hmm. So I was a great observer of people. And because I didn't always talk, or wasn't always the first to raise my hand in class, because I was not the first one to talk in a meeting, it meant that I was watching everybody. And I was really starting to understand human beings, and understand how things were working. So That actually enabled me then to when I wanted to talk or have something to say, I could say something of relevance. And it meant that I'd have to also choose. And I know that sounds like a strange thing, but when you're shy, your natural inclination is not to speak up. But when you know that speaking up is part of being in a company, it's part of being a leader or a manager, you want to find times that you can speak up. I think in a way, being shy, you're a little more discerning about those times. So you're thinking about what can I really add of value to this conversation? Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say, is you really bring the nuggets of value and real important thought to the conversation, which is really important because you'd be in meetings sometimes and everyone's talking at once and, you know, cutting people off. Oh, yeah. It's (laughs) the theme of of listening, actively listening. Yeah, it's so funny that you say that because I remember being in meetings, uh, and this is more recently in my career even, where you've got... 10 or 15 people around a table and everyone's talking over everyone else and what I tend to do even as the leader of that group is I get really quiet 
and I just listen. I really listen. And as it gets to a point, if there's just too much chaos, I slow it down, I stop, and I ask for each person's opinion. I ask the rest of the group to allow that person to talk and state an opinion. And what that does is it means that we can finally get those ideas out without there being that kind of chaos. But it's funny you mentioned that because I've, I've been in that situation and many leaders will slam down the mallet and go, you know, everyone shut up. But it's really not about getting people not to talk. It's about getting people to talk in a way that they can listen to each other. Exactly. And be more respectful for one another and each yeah, other's exactly. thoughts, right? Exactly. <laughs> well, we have to wrap up for today. Uh, we'd like to thank you for being here. You are a fashion and business rock star and now oh, author of you. the new book, Beyond the Label. Thank you for a great session today and best of luck with your new book. Thank you so much. Follow the American Management Association on Twitter to learn about upcoming free programs, the latest news, management insights, and special offers. You can follow us at A-M-A-N-E-T. That's A-M-A-N-E-T. Hope to tweet to you real soon. value in this program or if you have any comments and questions you'd like to loop back with us on we can be reached at a phone number 212-903-8090 or by email at edgewise at aminet.org that's edgewise at amanet.org edgewise at amanet.org